From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com That's the way it is. That's just the way it is. God damn. That's the way it will never be the same. <laughs> Who did that song? I don't even know. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> and welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. <laughs> and I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Katie Reif. She's a senior writer of the AV Club, co-hosts the AV Club's film podcast, Film Club, and is a programmer with the Music Box Theater in Chicago. Yay! I'm so excited. I've wanted to do this show for such a long time. I'm so glad it's finally happening. This is great. You know, we, we have like this huge list of people we want to talk to. We just like, we just got to get everyone on, but there's only oh, no, so many I episodes. So yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're here because I, oh, spoiler alert, I can't wait to talk about this movie. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny though, because I also feel like we, ha- we, we thought when we first started this, we'd have no one to talk to. Remember that? Mm. When you're like, oh, there's no oh, yeah. guests, no one would want to talk to us. And now it's like, oh, that's exciting. <laughs> 
Everyone wants well, to be Well, such a fun friend. topic, you know, like, you know, I'm just going to praise you guys for a second and say that, like, you know, coming on and be like, let's talk about this film is one thing. But when you put a fun angle on it, like talk about your childhood trauma, that just it makes it all the more... Um, appealing <laughs> uh, we think so and it, it seems to you know it's sometimes people are like you're just gonna traumatize me again on this podcast and it's like, yeah, okay well, we could do that sure yeah. if you want to but, yeah go for it we'll laugh through it we'll cry together we've done both oh we <laughs> so, have like, done both i'll cry i'll cry with you i cry all the yeah. time <laughs> Um, so before we do get too too far ahead, let's take it back to the beginning. How did you get introduced to horror? Well, what's interesting is my parents were against me watching anything R-rated. They were, um, we weren't super churchy until I got a little older, but they were church-going types and, you know, no R-rated movies in the house, no no um, cable television, nothing like that. And so I had to get into horror through kind of sideways means. I was mm. like... Listen, I don't know what they were trying to do, but they could not stop me from being a morbid little weirdo. Like, that just wasn't (laughs) going to happen. Um, (laughs) That's a trend, though. I feel like if you're going to be a morbid little weirdo, nothing is going to stop you from being a morbid little weirdo. Like, you're going to find out how to do it. Sorry, parents. Like, if your kid's a weirdo, (laughs) they're just going to be a fucking weirdo. So, yeah, like I had a few things like the Universal Monster movies. I definitely saw Mm -hmm. those when I was a kid. Um, I have like really fond memories of going trick-or-treating and then watching the Universal Monster movies after. And Mm. that was like a big formative experience for me. Um, And also, okay, here's a little story from my childhood. Uh, My uncle was a cable guy. And so we had cable for one glorious summer. I think it was 1993 when my uncle came to the house in June and was like, shh, don't tell anybody and flip the cable switch. So we had HBO. We had all the pay channels for like a summer. And then at the end of the summer in like August, he comes back and says, guys, I'm really sorry, but like my boss is on to me and had to turn off our cable. (laughs) So what happened was, is they tape, my parents taped everything that was on HBO like that summer. Mm -hmm. And so that's fucking smart. (laughs) Yeah, and so we would just watch those movies, like, forever. And one of the movies that played randomly on HBO late at night in the summer of 1993, maybe 94, I don't remember exactly, was The Shining. And I was a latchkey kid who was home by myself in the afternoons. And so I would watch The Shining every single afternoon when I got home from school. Wow. So can you recite the entire thing? (laughs) (laughs) don't know about that but (laughs) that's wild yeah and like and i would like leave leave the tape at the part i left off at and then you know start at that part the next (sighs) day and just watch it every single day that's amazing. So are you, are you a huge fan of, of that movie? Yeah, I Stills love that movie. Yeah. That's but it could have cool. been anything, truly. Like, it could have been yeah. any R-rated horror movie. I mean, it probably did shape my taste in some ways, where I tend to go for the more artsy kind of, you know, stuff with the striking cinematography. But, like, it, it could have been a Friday the 13th movie, and I still would have mm-hmm. watched it every single day after school. Do you think that was your first uh, introduction to R-rated horror, or...? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. What did you th- What did you think of it at that age? Like, what? Like, what did, did. you think of that? <laughs> what was your reaction to that movie? Because I think I saw that when I was like eleven or twelve, and I was like, I, I liked it, but the- I was just very. I don't think I did not get it the way I do now as an adult. 
Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, I didn't understand the stuff with the bear or the oh lady my God. and the... the fucking bear. And my dad was like, don't worry about it. And I'm like, well, now I'm going to worry about it because that's fucking creepy. So yes, yeah, that bear has haunted my life forever, as many others, I bet. I remember, like, you know, not getting that or um, the old lady in the bathtub or, you know, any of that kind of imagery didn't really make a lot of sense to me. But the scene where Jack, uh, where Wendy's on the stairs with the baseball bat and he's like, come here, Wendy, give me the bat. Oh, like that, yeah. that freaked me out when I was a little kid. Understandably so. Yeah, it's still pretty freaky now. So, yeah. So I have to ask, what of the Universal Monster movies, do you, did you have a favorite of them? Mm, I like, I think my favorite's uh, the original Dracula, but I like the original mm. Mummy, too. I, the Mummy, yeah. the Mummy's a good one. It is a good one. Yeah. One I didn't watch until I was an adult uh, that I just watched recently was a daughter, Dracula's daughter. Oh yeah, oh, oh, that was good. Oh yeah, it is a good one. It's a really good one. I was on I a quest it. to watch every lesbian vampire movie I could find for a little while. As you should. As you I think right. everyone needs to go on that, <laughs> that journey. That sounds like a journey that I'd like to be on for the rest of my life, actually. <laughs> so, what draws you to horror now as an adult? Okay, I was actually just talking to someone about this this morning, and I have a theory. There okay. are two types of people in this world. People who run away from things that scare them, and people who run towards things that, that scare them. And I think people who like horror movies are in the latter category. But the good thing about a horror movie, or, you know, like a roller coaster or a haunted house, is that it's a controlled way to experience terrifying emotions with the knowledge that... It, you're not actually going to die. And so I think it's a way of, yeah, it's a way of exercising that natural impulse that a lot of people have to be fascinated by things that scare them. And you can experience it in a controlled way. And yeah, that's what I like about it. I actually find them really relaxing for that reason. Like that's how I like to relax is putting on horror movies because yeah, right? it's, it's a controlled kick. Exactly. I feel like people always like, are like, I don't understand how you relax or like fall asleep like watching horror movies. And I was like, I don't know, which is discomforting. It is. I love that answer though, because I, you know, I was recently talking with people about how there seems to be a couple different camps where there's people that like love horror movies, but they might hate haunted houses. You brought up like that kind of controlled thing where it's like, for some reason for them being in that haunted house, even though it is controlled, it still is like less so than a horror movie. So some people get freaked out about that. that. And then, and there are people that like, will refuse to play horror games, even though they're a huge horrorophile, because the idea of being actually in control of things like terrifies them of like things jumping out at them. So I, th- I always think that's interesting because it seems like everyone has their own little kind of poison to do what you're talking about of like experiencing and, and kind of um, compartmentalizing horrors and understanding it in different, in different ways. Can I put forward a more risque version of this theory? Oh, please do. Okay. Horror movies, roller coasters, and kinky sex. If you're into one, you're into one of the other ones. <laughs> I don't think anybody's yeah. going to just one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't disagree. <laughs> yeah. And roller, and, controlled. And roller yeah, coasters controlled make me sick, so... <laughs> movie <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so I okay. Uh, bef- um, I, I ha- <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. It just it felt that right. was incredible. It felt no, right. Like, I wouldn't. <laughs> That's my air horn for you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, did 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 horror movies scare you as a kid? Mm, yeah, but uh, I was it, intrigued by that. You know, like I okay. said, as part of my whole theory about pe- running away from and running towards things that are scary to you. And so conversely, I know that you said that you watch horror for comfort. Do you ever get scared at, at horror movies as an adult anymore? Mm, sometimes. I have Can a bad habit. Can you think of the last movie? Uh, that actually like really freaked me out real bad mm-hmm. was actually The Duke because I watched it oh. not knowing anything about it. My coworker oh. just handed me like a they, – they still made promo DVDs at that point. My coworker just handed it to me and he was like, here, you should watch this. And so I watched it like at midnight like – by myself mm. in my apartment and just like laid awake the whole night. <laughs> I have a bad habit of watching ghost movies after midnight alone in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, I did that. I did that. A, I did that a lot. I did that a lot. Like when I was living in Chicago, when I was mm. here for grad, for grad school, I just want to watch a lot of watching these like one in the morning, all the lights off, like sound, like noise canceling headphones. Like, yeah, this is a good yeah. idea. Well, I don't do the noise canceling <laughs> headphones though, because my downstairs neighbor is a DJ. So I figure he owes me. <laughs> he that he does fucking owe you <laughs> jesus christ it's fine he doesn't do it too late at night and he never bothers me about you know the screaming coming from my tv so i think we're <laughs> oh yeah you're you're definitely like got some you're on, on level ground there he said you had, you had a bad habit about something with horror movies as an adult or being scared of oh I'm... watching them watching them late at night like oh, by well, myself that, okay, in the house right. yeah and it's specifically ghost movies that uh, ah. I think out of all of the things, I maybe believe in ghosts the most, and so that is the okay. most real to me. Like, oh, the movie Pulse scared the shit out of me too. That's a scary <gasps> movie. Ooh, that movie is fucking <laughs> scary. Oh, I watched yeah. that recently and was like, absolutely fucking not. No, thank you. I hate it. I actually love that movie, mm-hmm. but it's terrifying. But it's so scary. Yeah, it's that's so the kind of stuff scary. that really freaks me out. Yeah. Like yeah, monsters ghosts, and stuff, I'm fine, but... Ghosts also terrify me. I've always been scared of ghosts as a kid. I don't really know where it came from, necessarily, but, like, besides Catholicism, I just blame Catholicism on everything. Um, <laughs> but I've always been terrified of ghosts, and, like, I will always believe in ghosts. Like, I know it sounds crazy yeah. in pants, but, like, it, the, in the back of my head, I'm like, that shit could happen. I don't know, man. Like, a ghost might might be real. So, that yeah, I'm in the same camp with ghost stories. It's not crazy. I think it's arrogant to think that you know what happens after you die and ghosts are as plausible as anything else. So what are you, t- you kind of hinted a little bit that you really like like artsy or horror. But so what are some of your favorite horror movies that have come out recently? You know, I really like that. The other kind I like are like really gory, head exploding type of horror movies. That's the other I love that. I, like. I love the range. It's a good range. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I really like Possessor. That was one of my favorite oh, movies yeah. last year. Yeah, that movie fucking so rules. Good. That movie rules. How like if you didn't put that on your top ten, you're fooling yourself. I don't know. I thought it was great. It was in my top two. <laughs> Hell yeah. So, yeah. So I, I really liked that one. Um, it wasn't the first screening, but I saw Hereditary at the Overlook Film Festival, and they had managed to keep what it was about under wraps up to that point. And so that oh, was wow. just a really cool movie-going experience, you know, just mm-hmm. watching that movie with no idea what it was. I thought it was going to be a like a creepy kid movie, but... 
Yeah, they had very successfully all, kept what it was about. We all did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then it happens, and you're like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> oh, wow. That was so cool. One of like, the first people to see, like, one of the first groups to see it. Oh, shit. Yeah, so it was cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Gosh, I don't know. I watch a lot of movies because uh, I cover, I cover like, fan- this year I covered Fantasia. I'm covering TIFF and I'm covering Fantastic Fest remotely, sadly. But I will be covering it. So I think I've seen most of what's available. Oh, my God. This That's year. It's like so much going, like so many things. Did you like the sadness, by the way? I'm just always, did you, did you watch oh the sadness? God. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. That's I, the one that I, I want to talk to everyone about. I know that Terry does too, because that movie's fucking insane, Eddie. That movie's kind of nuts, and I kind of loved it. I kind of loved just being like, what the fuck? For like an hour <laughs> yes. and a half, you know? Speaking of like, speaking of mayhem, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I like the vibe that, and then like *Malignant* made me go "What the fuck?" this year. So I'm like, I'm vibing oh, with like the movies that like are kind of just like I don't know. Like here's a bunch of really <laughs> fucking wild shit, and you're like, I this is what I need. Oh my god! I think- please, please. Two of my favorite movies in the whole wide world are *Suspiria* and *House*. The Japanese oh, one. Yep. Mm-hmm. So honestly, obviously, I'm up for anything. You know, when it comes to like what the fuckery, <laughs> I'm up for anything. Like that sounds great. I have not had a chance to watch Malignant yet. You should have seen me. I was covering Tiff remotely, sitting on my couch at home, being like, "Gotta watch all these stupid fucking art movies. I can't even watch Malignant yet." Just like mad. <laughs> that you know, honestly, uh, I I feel you because last weekend I had to watch a movie for. Uh, fantastic fest it was two hours and like 17 minutes and mm-hmm. i was like no one has the time for this long of a screener yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh wow but so you mentioned okay covering lots of festivals you're a writer obviously mm-hmm. so why why like what made you what inspired you to be a writer and write about horror movies like what was your kind of journey into that oh, gosh well, I always wrote stuff even when I was a little kid. Speaking of being a morbid little weirdo, I wrote a play for my third grade class that was about monsters going trick-or-treating. And then the whole thing was that, oh, my God, they're real. They're not masks at the end of the play. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, love that. I still have it somewhere. I still have the play that I wrote when I was like eight about monsters. <laughs> oh, my God. That's yeah, incredible. Somewhere. I also got in trouble as a child because I wrote a ghost. Well, not really trouble, but my mom got called in to talk to my teacher because uh, we had an assignment to write a ghost story. And I had written something super morbid. It was probably inspired by scary stories to tell in the dark, you know, like it wasn't anything out of line. I think it was about like this ghost story about a woman who throws herself off a cliff on her wedding night or something. And, uh, you know, and I, sta- standard genre fair, duh. Like, thank that's not, you. But, like, not even, like, in kids' stories, like, scary stories tell in the dark. Like, that shit I read when I was, like, too young. Yeah. But, yeah, like, that's not that wild. It's not that wild. Like, at this point, I'd be like, oh, what a cliche. But apparently, my second grade teacher was concerned about the subject matter in the story and called my mom in for a meeting, and my mom told me, like, later as an adult about this and said, and I just told her you were like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's just Katie. (laughs) Oh, don't worry about her. (laughs) She's just like that. 
Like, she's having a good time. She's just got some, like, she's just a spooky kid. It's fine. Yeah, so maybe a little bit predestined that way. But, um, no, I had a lot of different jobs. Uh, I didn't go into being a professional writer straight out of college or anything like that. I had a lot of jobs. I was a PA for a while on TV show. And then um, I worked in a warehouse. I worked at a couple video stores. I taught English abroad. I toured with oh, a wow. comedy group. I did a lot of stuff. Oh, my God. And then... When I was, oh, I worked at a Doc Martens store. That was ridiculous. Like a hipster boutique is a ridiculous job. I don't know if you've read that. Uh huh. Yeah, you know about it. I can't even. I know people. I know friends that have worked in one before, and it's it's um something else. Doc Martens was funny because they would have these like corporate training videos that were all like the spirit of independence and Doc Martens and being unique and you know um fighting the man and blazing your own trail but be sure to clock out for your breaks you know like it was stupid it's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite yeah independent uh, but also but also HR is like the the manual yes exactly exactly but also if you're if you're on time then you're late you know arrive 5 minutes early and you're like yeah punk rock cool <laughs> so i was doing that and then uh a friend of a friend who i went to college with was working at av club and i was getting a little desperate to get out of this job and so i was like trying to get just freelance ins anywhere i could and so i did that and i freelanced for them for about 8 9 months then they called me in for doing like a 6 month uh fellowship and that went well, okay. and I've been there ever since. So, yeah, I didn't That's have awesome. a, I didn't get paid to write anything until I was thirty. So, if you're listening to this and you're not thirty yet, you're you're not behind. It's okay. Everybody, if, yep. if anything from this podcast, I feel like people should take away. It's that like everyone's writer journey is an absolute weird mishmash of like working sixty five different jobs and not getting paid oh. to write until like. A sa- sadly too long <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. i mean like yeah it's there's no linear way to do this at no all. there really isn't no not at all no and i'm actually grateful for the life experience because i feel like it helps inform your writing you know you have oh, you yeah. have, mm-hmm. you have um, an interesting you have a more varied perspective i guess Oh, yes. Absolutely. For sure. Uh, Okay, so this podcast that you co-host, Film Club, can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Oh, sure. So basically, all right, so here's the backstory here. They used to have a show called Film Club that was in Siskel and Ebert at the movies type of thing. And they started doing it because this guy I used to work with was on at the movies for a while after Ebert uh, couldn't do it anymore. He was too sick. Mm -hmm. So they like picked people to come in and host some shows. And he hosted some shows. His name's Ignati Vishnevetsky. So he left that. They ended up going with a different host for the next season. And then the show got canceled and he ended up at AV club. And so the fact that he had been on TV before doing this, um, they wanted to do the same thing, but under the umbrella of the AV club. So they called it film club. And then he ended up leaving, uh, the the company and I joined up and um, yeah took over on Film Club and we did it as video for a little while but I never really liked doing the video so much and so it was kind of a blessing when the pandemic came down and we started doing it as a podcast instead because mm. the whole thing is kind of based around um, one of my editors said to me one time he was like we really should just record you and A.A. Dowds my co-host and we really should just record you guys you know just bullshitting about movies in the office and I was like sure sounds great 
And so that was kind of the thought behind the show. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> just bullshitting. You're like, cool. That's yeah. all I want to do is just bullshit into we a microphone do, we do about review movies. episodes, and we also do topics. Like we do some some. Um, we do some uh, research on ours. It's not totally just yammering, but um, but that was kind of the impetus. Was uh, you know people people saying that they enjoyed listening to us talk in the office, which was very generous because again, if you've worked in an open plan office, you know that that can be very annoying <laughs> listening to other mm-hmm. people talk. So I take that as a really big compliment that they wanted to start you recording should. it. Seriously, <laughs> God. <laughs> If I, oh god! Because just thinking about all the other conversations I've heard going on in an open plan <laughs> office, it's like, good lord. Yeah, I was like so flattered. Like, wow, you don't mind listening to me talk? That's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> you you like me distracting you from your work? Good. Glad. I'm glad I can do that. <laughs> yeah, happy to do so. Right. I know. And then, just like I want to hear a little bit more about the work you've done with the Music Box Theater, which is like the best theater on the planet. Um, I miss yeah. it all the time. So I know you've done a lot of really cool work with them for programming. So just like mm-hmm. want to hear a little bit more about what you do with them and all that good stuff. Well, I started off programming with them. We did we had a festival there called Cinepocalypse for a few years, but that kind of dissipated um, in all the chaos of uh, 2020 and you know all those festivals getting shut down and things like that. And so. I said to uh, Ryan, who's the GM at the theater, I said half as a joke to him, we should just do a drive-in festival instead. We should do like a dusk till dawn uh, drive-in marathon instead of the festival that we were going to put on. And he and he was and he was like, oh, ha ha ha. And then came back to me a few weeks later and was like, we should actually do that. though. <laughs> <laughs> there was this uh, it's this, this place in Pilsen in Chicago. If you're familiar with Chicago, it's. A neighborhood on the south side that's um, more kind of industrial, like the outskirts of it are very industrial. Mm-hmm. And so there was this space there where these people had a an indoor soccer uh, arena, and they they were looking for a way to make money during the pandemic too. And so we joined up with them, and they turned their parking lot into a drive-in. And Music Box helped them by putting in some equipment and things like that. And we started putting on shows together there. And so last year we did 31 Nights of Terror, where every single night in October we showed a different horror movie at the drive-in. So awesome. We did another thing in uh, at the end of May called Half a Ween, where we showed some movies. Uh, I showed Midsommar because it was the mm. it was seasonally appropriate for the time. Mm-hmm. It was I think it was on uh, it was on May Day. <laughs> so that was a very yeah. funny. Perfect. That was a very funny joke just for me. Um, and then. <laughs> Yeah, and so then this year we're only going to do 30 nights at the drive-in because we're also going to do a 24-hour marathon at the theater. So we're oh, off wow. on the drive-in on October 23rd because that's the 12 p.m. to 12 p.m. horror movie marathon. It's something like 60 movies or something we're showing this year. It's really ambitious. Wow. That's fucking crazy. It's that's fun, ins- though. That's great. That's <laughs> no, bonkers. it 100%. It's so fun. Uh. Yeah. I wish I lived in Chicago. Oh, Chicago's the best. I miss Chicago with all of my soul. Oh, it is pretty great. <laughs> I mean, it's not that far for me because, I mean, I live in Nebraska, so it's not terribly far. I mean, if it's you want to come up city. for the weekend, you have my email. <laughs> I'm convinced that Chicago is the best horror city, but that's just me being biased and living there and finding a horror community in Chicago when I had never found one before, like where I live. So I think that might color my perception, but like... 
Yeah. I met some cool fucking people in Chicago. Like, y'all are so cool. You know what I like about people, audiences and horror audiences specifically in Chicago? Hmm. Like, I I enjoy the scene at things like Fantastic Fest, you know, where there is a lot of networking going on and stuff like that. But we don't really do that so much here. It really is more about just watching the movies. It's not so much about, like, you know, like, um, seeing if someone can you know, get you a professional connection or something like that. There's not that uh, schmoozing aspect of it here so much. Yeah. So it really is about the love of the game in Chicago. Yeah. See, that's awesome because I hate the schmoozing aspect. <laughs> it is what like, it is. It's like a necessary part of the ecosystem, I think. But I'm glad to not have to deal with it regularly when I'm at home. Yeah, just do, <laughs> let's would... do shots of Malort and just like talk about horror movies. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I had my first shot of Malort was that's an apocalypse 2019. Oh, man. Oh, I need to try it someday. I guess. Yeah, I think I think so. I have a bottle of it in my bar because I'm a fucking wild person who, despite thinking it's disgusting, has to have it in my home. Well, you know, I, I used to refuse to drink it. it, and you had to trick me into drinking it. Now I will drink it willingly. So, like, it's breaking me down over the years. I don't like it, <laughs> but I will drink it. If you say, "Do you want to do a shot of Malort?" I'll go, "Yeah, okay." When I used to be like, "Absolutely not. What's wrong with you?" So it's breaking me down. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's Malord on the rocks. Oh, oh so no! I said Why that? did you do that to yourself? Oh my god! So how, wait, how do you drink it? Is it just, just a shot? Usually or? just a shot. Usually just a it. shot. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to like really. A, yeah, it's like an extra funky Aquavit. It's like Aquavit drained through a dirty sock. Is basically what it tastes like. Oh yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> It's gross. Yeah. You can only, it used to be you could only buy it here, but now when I travel, I see it at bars more often. Well, and it's so weird. They had it at the liquor store here because apparently in, in Maryland, really? Maryland is a weird fucking place where like we have random shit, but like apparently they really only sell Malort in liquor stores in he- here and in Chicago, which is so funny. I'm like, how the fuck do I oh. live in the two places that sell Malort like readily? My sister and my brother-in-law live in Portland and I just give my, he, my, my brother-in-law's the type of person who likes to surprise people with a gross shot. So I just give him Malort for Christmas <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't reflect my true feelings about him. He really does appreciate it. <laughs> um, okay, so Malort aside, uh, Katie, mm-hmm. what movie did you bring with you today for us to talk about? Oh, I brought a movie that scared me worse than The Shining when I was a small child, which is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> um, so for listeners who are unfamiliar, um, in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, a scientist father of a teenage boy and girl accidentally shrink shrink his and two other neighborhood teens to the size of insects. Now the teens f- fight diminutive dangers as the father searches for them. Gotta love IMDb and they're really weirdly structured sentences sometimes. Yes, it's incredible. I <laughs> love the alliteration on diminutive dangers. <laughs> uh, you're not supposed to use too much alliteration in your writing or puns, but I say fuck that. They're both I also fun. say fuck that. Fuck that. I love I <laughs> yes. love alliteration. And I've had editors before be like, I hate this. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You can change it. But I love it so much. I've had editors straight up be like, why are you doing this to me? And I'm like, I think it sounds good. And they're like, no. <laughs> 
tell, give us your horror story. I want to know how old you were when you saw this, how you saw this, what about it scared you, and why is this your, your Scarred for Life moment? Oh, wow. Okay. I don't remember when I actually first saw the movie. I don't remember actually watching it, but I remember for probably a year or two afterwards, I had this kind of intense phobia that I was going to randomly shrink and fall through holes and things. So, oh. so I refused to get on an escalator for like two years. I uh, refused to walk over a sewer grate for like two years. I refused to take stairs that had holes between the slats for like two years because I was just terrified that I was going to shrink and fall through the hole never to be seen again. And it was the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that sparked this in me and like I used to hang out with my cousins a lot when I was little. And one of my cousins, my older cousin, he knew this and he would scare me. He would just run in the room and yell, honey, I shrunk the kids. And I would scream and be like, no. And then he'd run away and run out of the room like laughing. So he used to torment me with just yelling the title of the movie. I was so, there's something about, I, I can't psychoanalyze this. Like, if anybody's listening, who's like a Freudian psychologist who knows why a little kid would be, would have this thing about shrinking. Um, but yeah, like I was definitely looking down at the ground, like walking around any hole in the ground. I just refused to step over for a year or two because this movie. That's amazing. <laughs> I, don't know I why. love it when a movie can like affect how you, how you interact with the world because like that was me with, with arachnophobia where mm. it was like, I realized different ways that I could, be terrorized by a spider. And so that also changed the way I interacted with the world. So I, I love it when a movie affects someone so much that it's not just watching the movie and you don't, you, as you said, you don't really remember when you saw it. It's, it's the after effects. I just, I love hearing about those. Yeah. Makes me feel less of a freak. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not a freak at all. No. I, and yeah, it's weird because I don't really remember when it went away either. I think just after a okay. while it, it just went away, but I do God, the, the whole holes in the ground thing. There was like a, um, a grate in front of the door to the, the, the Kmart that we would go to, to, you know, mm -hmm. buy groceries and, you know, shoes with Velcro eighties shoes and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> shout out to Velcro eighties shoes. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the best, it, there was a grate in the floor and it was probably, it was just a steward grate. It was just a storm grate that was in front of the door. And my mom used to have to pick me up and carry me over it. Cause I would like thrash and scream and refuse to go into the Kmart. Cause I thought I would shrink. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so weird. I can't explain any of this, but it is true. And it, I think I, it was like so traumatizing to me that I still think about it sometimes. Like if I'm walking down the street and I see a little hole in the sidewalk, I'm like, whoop, and I like jump over it. So I okay, but the 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 stairs without the backings, mm. those scare, those scare me too. I remember really? being terrified of those as a kid, and I don't know why. Because oh, like, fuck I, but them, you talk though. about I this, just those. like triggered a memory in me. I yeah. hate those fucking things because I had a I had a friend who had stairs like that, and I his her brother would grab through the like it was like a, it was like a oh. slip foyer. 
No! Um, no. So it was like a split foyer situation. So like you would go up and you could kind of like grab through. And so going up, he would like grab ankles and that fucking. No, that's horrible. Like you drag you by your ankles to your doom. That's horrifying. Yeah, it's like the most slasher shit ever of like getting your ass uh-huh. dragged down the stairs. Like fuck that. So um, That's a conjuring movie, dude. Yeah, it is a Conjuring movie. I fucking hated going to that house because of that goddamn reason. I was like, a goddamn hand is going to come out and like grab me and pull me down into the basement. Ah! Anyway, so I guess Terry, you also just fucking triggered that in my head. I'm just like, oh my God. (laughs) Death. so your fear seems to be a little bit more ex- existential about this film in, in terms of because like I, I was when, whenever I watch a movie with, that a guest picks, I'm always like, OK, what is the scene that traumatized them? <laughs> and so I had a couple that could have potentially been that, but I wasn't prepared for this more existential kind of real world dread, dread about shrinking and floating away or getting sucked into a hole. I can't explain it except to explain it in sort of the larger terms of something that I thought about when I watched the movie again as an adult, which Mm -hmm. is that this is a, this is a movie. A lot of movies from the eighties are kind of about this. And I was a latchkey kid. So I was left home alone a lot. And this is, I would call honey. I shrunk the kids part of that latchkey cinema, which is like movies that are made for kids that are about bad things that can happen when your parents aren't home. (laughs) My worst fucking, I hate that fucking genre of movie because I was such an anxious kid and like that was oh. like always scared the shit out of me. Like what happens when your parents aren't home? But yeah. And it's a total genre though, right? Like yes. the during, and in the, in the 90s too, it carried through into the mm-hmm. 90s. But the gate makes me think of that too. Like whenever yeah. we talk about that, the gate's one of the first ones that pops into my head that we watched for this podcast actually. Yeah. There was that fear, because, like, I wasn't a latchkey kid necessarily, but, like, there were, my mom and my brothers had to go to doctor's appointments a lot, so I was home alone, like, after school, and I was always so excited to, like, watch the X-Files and stuff like that. But then movies like this were, like, I want my mom to be home. I don't like being alone. Like, I can't be trusted around any any appliance, like, any machinery. Like, I don't know what's (laughs) going to happen to me. Yes. I'm going to, like, set the house on fire if I try to, like microwave some popcorn or something yeah (laughs) all those fears and i think it all kind of ties in with that idea of like something that is in the movie which is like being neglected by your parents until they just don't see you at all anymore and you just kind of disappear like that's a that's That's like an existential childhood fear that kind of ties in to this thing that we're talking about of latchkey cinema yes i uh i totally that okay i remember seeing this movie actually in the movie theater this was one of the first times that i went to go see a movie in a movie theater my grandparents took me they were they came up from um like the the continental united states because we lived in alaska at the time Mm. and they drove they drove they drove everywhere and so they drove up to see us they spent like a few weeks and one of the things we went to do is my grandparents took me to go see this movie and i remember seeing the movie theater i remember that it opened up with tummy trouble the uh roger rabbit short animated short and i i remember seeing that and being like oh i love roger rabbit and then thinking that all movies should have like a roger rabbit short in front of it but i you know i totally did not remember any of this parent stuff i just was more enraptured in like the kids stuff but the parent stuff is actually freakly frankly traumatic this i and on both sides because you have Selinsky who is completely ignoring his son who's obviously looking up to him with so much like love and affection and wants to be his father with like making that sort of model 
uh, laser and stuff. And you have him just being completely swept away as Mm -hmm. he literally happens to him later. And then you have the, on the other side, the Thompsons and, and their kid about with this, like, discussion of masculinity where you know the kid is he's not big enough he's not into sports he's not into fishing he needs to be fixed we need to buff him up we need to make a man out of him Mm. and so there's all of that kind of existential stuff in here that as a kid I completely went over my head yeah and the you're right to point out that whole subplot with them trying to toughen him up and make him more you know quote-unquote masculine because that's another way that you can feel like people don't see you like you know Mm -hmm. you, you can shrink down until you aren't there anymore as if you don't fit the norms right and i also latched on a lot more to this that like the divorce not divorce but like kind of like quasi divorce plot going on in this with the mom like going Mm. away because i you Mm -hmm. know i'm a child of divorce and also my mom and my stepdad fought a lot when i was a kid so like this definitely suck in my head that way of like when you're a kid and your parents are fighting all the time how small you feel like you can't Mm. you want so badly to fix it and find a way to make your parents like be whole again but the more you try to, like, fix that, I think the smaller you feel. And so that I also really stuck out in terms of, like, these two mm. kids who are trying. Like, the daughter especially is, like, trying to keep it together and, like, be cool for her parents and, like, for her brother. And she just, like, slowly kind of, again, like, she shrinks down and fades away. Well, and, and this is another trope that I think a lot of a lot of um, movies it kind of in this ilk kind of do where the kids end up taking over the slack of the parents, the inattentive parents, because you have her cooking and failing, like just <laughs> burning the shit out of her toast and stuff. But like you have her kind of taking on a more parental unit or parental role than than her her parents do and having to like ping her father, you know, it's breakfast. I love that little detail where there's multiple signs that she has to push for like, it's breakfast time, it's dinner time as if he has no concept of time so that it's almost as if this like announcement is like, Hey, it's time for breakfast. And so she, the, the kids have to take on the, the, par- the parenting roles and it's, um, it's really sad. Mm. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that, you know, we all had these different life experiences, but they all connect to that feeling of being small and and that mm-hmm. ties into the movie. So it it's, it really is, I, I suppose, a, a feeling that a lot of kids can relate to. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about this watching this because um, I, I this this is probably the first time maybe since the movie theater. I mean, I probably saw it a little bit after that, but like that is the only time I remember seeing this film. But I do remember because I would have been, it came out in 89. So I would have been eight when I saw this movie. And, you know, looking back on it now, I started laughing to myself as I was watching. I was like last night, because I was so enraptured with little Russ. Like I should have realized then that I was, that I was queer. <laughs> but like, as I started watching the movie more, I was like, no, I, I don't know. And this was sort of something that I think a lot of queer kids kind of deal with is, do I want to be him or do I like him? Mm. You know what I mean? So like, as I started watching this as an adult, I was like, I think maybe what actually drew me to the character is like, he like resonated with me with this sort of like father who wants him to be masculine. So I remember the time that my dad took me out to in the yard and was like, we're going to throw a football. We're going to toughen you up. We're going to make you, you know, you're going to want to do foot. You're going to want to join the football team. And I was like, gosh, it must've been in fifth grade at the time. And I had no desire to, I had no desire to do any of these like masculine, masculine, I'm using quotation marks for listeners, uh, type of type of roles. And yet everyone wanted me to be this sort of like, Cause I was built bigger and, you know, and, oh, you gotta, you, you gotta go out for the sports. You're going to, you'd be a great oh. tackler and all this kind of stuff. And it was like this, this push to do that. And so like, I think 
looking back on it, that I probably saw myself in this kid who had wanted nothing to do with fishing because fishing was huge in Alaska. I wanted nothing to do with sports. I wanted nothing to do with the traditional masculine roles. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I don't love that you went through that, but I'm glad you had that identification. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was such a weird moment watching this last night. I was like, whoa, because at first I was again chuckling. I was like, oh yeah, I thought this kid was cute, and now as an adult, I think the father is kind of cute. <laughs> but I was like, <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong but, uh, with Rick Moranis. <laughs> oh no, I mean the other one. Oh, the other one. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I, was like, I, I love thought, Rick Moranis. I think Matt Fewer Fewer who I, I was like, where have I seen him before? And he was in Orphan Black. He's a scientist in Orphan Black. Oh, I don't know really? if you've watched that. Yeah. All this leaky or whatever. Huh. He's, he's the, the scientist in that. But yeah. So it's it's just it was such a weird, a weird moment of like, whoa, things are kind of like connecting. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you brought up the dads, too, because something that was really funny with the dads is like how goofy they were, though. Like they were so like the the neighbor was like, oh, we have to have you be like this particular way and go fishing and be masculine. And then the, then Rick Moranis' character is such a nerd and like has a very specific way mm. of doing things. But they're also huge goofballs, like slapstick comedy all over the mm-hmm. place, which is so funny because like, you have these two characters being like, this is like, especially the neighbor, like more like masculinity, but also he stabs himself in the finger with the fish hook and is always doing something kind of silly with his body. And so is Rick Moranis. But I always think of Rick Moranis as slapstick, though. Like, that man's body is just, like, a noodle. Mm -hmm. But, like, he is a scientist and is, like, a very serious scientist. And then you see him do these hilarious things. And it's just such a funny contrast between these two men who, like, want to be very serious and, like, very taken seriously. And then their absolute, like... Uh, unable to kind of control their own bodies in a way. Oh, a friend. Kitty. Oh, yeah, you can't see it on the podcast, but my cat likes to... She is always very curious about what we're doing (gasps) with the headphones on the screen. Is she making biscuits on your neck? Yeah, she's making biscuits. It's biscuit time. Oh, my God. What is her name? I love her. Her name is Loretta Lynn the cat. Because, uh... (laughs) Well, she was, um... The shelter she came from was in Louisville, Kentucky. And they found her when she was just a sweet little baby kitten and she was pregnant. So she was a teenage mom from Kentucky, just like Loretta Lynn, who I love. So that's why. (laughs) That is such a sweet story. She loves you so much. She's so adorable. She matches your your sweater, too, which is very good. Oh, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Anyway. So please don't mind Miss Loretta. She'll just hang out with us for a little while. Hell yeah. That's all I want. (laughs) But with with your point, Mary Beth, though, what's what I what kind of just clicked in my mind too is that yes, you have two different sides. You have like this guy that's super masculine and wants his son to be super masculine, and then you have the scientist who's very smart, and none of their kids are living up to their expectations in a way. Like they're both invisible to them for completely different reasons, even though they are like sort of in the same realm as their father. They're both being completely ignored by their father. God damn, this movie is way sadder than I remember it being. <laughs> <laughs> Literally watching this movie, all I remembered was giant ant, giant ant fight in grass and pollen. And then I watch it, I'm like, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. This yeah, is really, there's a lot like, going on. Well, and it, that is just, I was thinking about this, like, wow, the things we watched as kids that were made for kids, but so obviously also made for adults. Like, they wrote these really smart movies. And I'm always, I think I just, as I 
get older and revisit things I loved as a kid, I think I'm getting a much deeper appreciation for writers, like script writers, and their abilities mm-hmm. to like do this really cool balancing act between funny and like relatable for kids and also like funny for adults. Like it's just a really mm-hmm. cool it's so cool to see those movies like how they balance that. And the things like that I remember as a kid and did not remember as a kid to what I look at now. And it's just like it's really, really skillful like cool to watch that like skill and what those writers are able to do and like how they're able to make such complicated stories that you love and have scarred you but also like make you feel a lot of things about (laughs) being a child and growing up and you know the this one is terms of the writing has a really interesting backstory this one i mean if it feels like a horror movie for kids that's because it is it was written the original story was written by Stuart gordon and brian usna Mm -hmm. And uh, Stuart Gordon was originally supposed to direct the movie and they had gotten pretty deep into pre-production when I, he had to drop out of the production for a medical reason. I don't know if it was a heart attack or an aneurysm or something like that, but he had like a medical reason why he had to drop out of the production because uh, working with Disney was stressing him out too much, (laughs) you know, because, you know, know that shit hasn't (laughs) fucking changed in, in in decades. Yeah, because, you know, most of the Stuart Gordon's, you know, more famous movies are, like, more independent productions are not studio films. And so I guess he just wasn't suited for the studio environment. And so so Stuart Gordon ended up leaving the project, and uh, a guy named uh, Joe Johnston ended up taking it over. And he was an effects guy who had worked on Star Wars, and he had worked on the Raiders movies, and he had worked on Willow. And so they gave this to him as, like, his uh, directorial debut. And, you know, unlike Stuart Gordon, who was not made for this Disney life, <laughs> Joe Johnston made a lot of movies for Disney. Um, he, Have you done any episodes about Jumanji? I feel like that would be a um, traumatic... <laughs> we fucking, I am surprised that has not come up yet, yet. And I need to, because that was a movie that, like, was very, very, like important for me as a child but yes but yeah he he's the studio guy he made the rocketeer he made the page master mm-hmm. jumanji jurassic park three <laughs> right and um, i'll be winners <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um i think it's you know it's really interesting to me to think about the collision of these two worlds you know like the kind of mm-hmm. 80s indie horror world with the disney kids machine and, you know, at the time, Disney had yet to go through its 90s revival. And so they were I think they were a little hard up for ideas. And so they decided to yeah. take a big swing with these two. <laughs> I mean, this is this has been a trend is because we've covered a couple of Disney movies um, on on the show. And this has been a trend with like uh, something wicked this way comes and some other, you know, Disney uh, horror, uh, watcher in the woods where they hire someone involved in the horror genre that is making like classical type horror films. I mean, I don't think, I guess you probably couldn't call reanimator like a classical type horror film, but like these horror films that like, um, are, you know, the more, I guess we'd call it, well, some people would call it today elevated, like, uh, the, um, gosh, what is that Donald Sutherland movie? Uh, don't look, don't look, don't now. look now. Yeah. Don't look now. Hiring that to to write like all these, these, these highfalutin horror directors coming in to do kids movies and, they do it with respect to the kids as opposed to just making like a dumbed down kids movie They They do things that could be like a horror movie, but it just happens to be for kids. And I, I think you can definitely see that in some of the, the sequences in this film too. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think 
you know, as far as 80s horror director go, you know, if you just change the subject matter, obviously, like Reanimator mm. is not for children. But I mean, <laughs> Stuart Gordon's right. style, it's very colorful, it's very campy, it's very fun. Mm-hmm. I think that could translate into the kids, the kids realm pretty well. Right. It surprises me that Brian Usna, uh, I mean, this the society <laughs> director, <laughs> is <laughs> writing a kid's movie. Well, I, I think that's that's just phenomenal. He also made that movie Dolls, which is like a, a spooky yes. doll movie, oh, which is, you know. I love Dolls. That movie's incredible. Yeah, Dolls is awesome. Um, but, you know, that's sort of tiptoeing towards kids' territory yeah, a little like, bit. Dolls is definitely has, like, it's more horror than kid, but that that's a weird one where you're like, ooh. It's almost a kids movie, but well, and it's like I think <laughs> Terry, you you said this, but like they respect kids as audience members. Like it's not mm-hmm. thinking that kids are dumb and need like bright colors and like silly shit for silly shit. It's bright colors and silly shit because they can handle it and can like kind of understand what's happening in terms of like monsters and creepy stuff. Like I love that because horror directors seem much more respectful of like in general. This is like, obviously a generalization, but like understanding that kids are smart. Kids are not stupid and kids are able to understand the world much better than a lot of people get credit for. And yeah. So. And a lot of people's fears, you know, a lot of fears are, are childhood is very scary. You know, you're just trying yeah. to figure out the world and how it works and you don't have any power. Childhood can be a scary time. Yeah, the more we on this podcast, the more we talk about childhood, the more I do realize how fucking scary being a kid is. Like, I knew it was scary, but the more we talk about it, I'm like, damn, being a kid is just like the most anxiety-inducing experience. (laughs) At least for a kid like me, who was like scared of a lot of stuff and a lot of anxiety, but like, good lord, good lord. It's not much better as an adult, but it's like a little bit better as an adult. (laughs) A little bit better, a little bit more of a grasp on things, kind of. And, well, uh, another, you know, talking about, like, the ordinary day-to-day terrors of childhood, you were talking about some of the big sequences in this movie. They they mm. all involve, you know, kind of, like, normal household things. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. You know which sequence really freaked me out when I was a kid was the one where Rick Moranis almost eats his son? <gasps> that oh. scene? Existential terror. Uh-huh. <laughs> that scene, like... Even the part where, like, he's he's in the milk and he puts the spoon in it and eats and you're like, did he eat him? I knew he didn't. Right. But in the, when I watched it this time, I was like, he ate yeah. his son. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And, like, I also in my head was thinking about what an incredible thing to set up a giant bowl of Cheerios. Like, have a, the, the practical effect of having this kid swimming in milk in a bowl of Cheerios. Mm-hmm. And, like, this the way they play with scale in this movie is just so fucking cool. Yeah. What I remember when I was rewatching this is how much I wanted to be those shrunken kids. Like when when they're being pelted by rain, I mean, it's supposed to be a horrifying moment, but I was like, oh, my God, that looks so cool. Or, or when he is when they find the giant oatmeal cookie, I was like, oh, can you imagine coming across this giant oatmeal cookie and just having frosting? <laughs> Like this is these are the thoughts that I was as a kid. This movie didn't terrify me as as a kid at all because I was like, this is so cool. Can I have this? When they go down the slide out of the trash can and it's like this uh, the grass leave and they're going down to the ground. I'm like, this is so much fun. That, I, will, I, I will say though, those are the, the moment that really did it gave me a new appreciation for bugs was ant, the ant and understanding mm, what ants really look like. I don't think I really knew like conceptually what an ant up close looked like like i knew what it looked like with the face and the hairiness mm-hmm. no concept of this as a child none 
And so it taught me how hairy insects are. Right. And then along with that, the sound it makes, I was like, I was scared to kill ants for a while because I was like, they make noises. Like, it, oh, <laughs> and like, oh, I was like, oh, that's so sweet. They're real animals. Like, they're not no. just ants. They're real animals. And I think that that's what my big takeaway from this movie was that moment of just being like, oh, wait. Oh, it's an individual. And I think that kind of fucked me up and thinking about, like, how tiny things are and how they really do matter. Mm-hmm. And that fuck, that got me all kinds of weird fucked up as a kid. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of overwhelming thought. Like, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, my God. And like you can't so conceptualize many it. things. Like and it's like hard for you to con- like wor- conceptualize it out loud. So you're just like full of this anxiety. Like I can't kill that fucking ant. That ant's got a family. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yes. Oh my but, like, god. That moment with the ant and then them feeding the ant and then fighting the um, scorpion. I was mm-hmm. that really fucked me up because again, like it was like the ant became like a dog or a pet. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't like that lot, like the loss we're experiencing here with this bond they have with this animal. Cause like, cause like the dog Quark is like a figure in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the ant becomes Quark in like a way for mm-hmm. a bit. Cause it's like, oh, that's the pet. That's like the, the comfort mm-hmm. animal, the help, like it can help. And then he gets got by the scorpion and they couldn't get to him in time to save him. Yeah. So vicious. And it's just so it vicious. It is traumatic. That is, there are a lot of traumatic elements in this movie, aren't there? Oh, man. <laughs> Side note, though, Katie, I am so thankful that you brought a movie about shrinking people and large insects that does not have a fucking spider in it. <laughs> Well, I didn't know about the spider thing, so that's just good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I was about to to watch this movie, I was like, I remember there's an ant. Remember the ant gets killed by something. I can't remember. Is there a spider in this movie? And I was prepared the entire time for this giant spider to come on the scene because I honestly could not remember. And it's become like kind of a trope on this on this podcast. We'll be watching something and there'll be a surprise tarantula or a surprise spider. And it's like, I was not prepared for this. And like, so I was sitting here this entire time, almost on pins and needles, like, is there a spider? Wait, I cannot remember. I should have went to Wikipedia. It would have fit, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, it, this is this movie is taking, you know, the the like the the pull. It's pulling from like the Incredible Shrinking Man Absolutely. and a bunch of those movies from like the fifties where they used giant spiders in those movies, and so it would have it would have perfectly fit. I was so happy it was a, a scorpion because scorpions don't bother me. Other than that, I don't want to be stung by one. I also that right. made me also realize like, can fucking scorpions be in my backyard? Like that was another thing that like, like I never saw scorpions. I'm like, is there a scorpion in my suburban backyard neighborhood? Yeah, this is a good question. <laughs> where I, where I'm from, we had black widows. Uh, not oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We had those where I was from. You, you had to be yep. careful. Like no. you, if you went camping, you had to check the toilet. <laughs> yep, toilet shoes. <laughs> we had that. Yep. We had them living up. We had like a colony in our garage. We weren't allowed. Oh my in the god! Wow, I never came up that close. I just remember being at Girl Scout camp and like. You know, peeking into the toilet like, oh, is there going to be a black widow? <laughs> oh, God. The wor- Girl Scout camp began the latrine, making sure a spider yeah. wasn't going to bite your ass. Sorry, Terry. I'm so sorry. And sorry, Terry. We're re-traumatizing Terry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my stepdad would be like, oh, look, there's black a black widow. And we had, like, them in our garage. We lived in the mm-hmm. woods, basically. So we had a lot of critters that just, like, yeah. were like, lots you, of spiders. 
you're in our woods. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. Where did you grow and up, And brown Katie? recluses also, I remember oh, hearing. Yeah. Be careful, oh, though. Oh, God, those. Yeah. Oof. Katie, where did you grow up? In Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. I'm yeah. in Maryland, so it's not too far. I feel like we have, like, no, similar just critter, other- critter situations. Yeah, no, other side of the mountains, basically. Yeah, you know? basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... um. One thing, uh, so I wrote an article about how I was traumatized by this movie for AV Club a few years ago, and I did a little bit of research for it. And one thing that I really loved was that, I mean, obviously, they really built all this stuff, but they built it in this, they had this gigantic soundstage in Mexico City where Mm. they built all of these sets. And um, so kind of the story is, while Stuart Gordon is off being traumatized by having to work with Jeffrey Katzenberg back in L.A., um, (laughs) Uh, Brian Houston is down in Mexico City, like supervising the creation of all these like ten foot tall blades of grass and stuff, and just having a great time. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that giant flower full of pollen that I always wanted to jump oh. into. Yeah, oh my god, that is like the sets are so cool. I'm like, can I go visit them now? Like, are they still around? Like, are they a thing that you can go see? I don't know. Do you remember though? I never amazing. went, but I remember seeing commercials when I was a kid and being freaked out by them. But they had like a Honey I Shrunk the Kids like area at Disneyland or something yes, like that. Yes, they, they did. did. I do remember yeah. that, and I, I and I did not want to go. <laughs> did I, I want to go? I cannot fucking remember if I. I remember seeing that because I also this movie. I also conflate this one with Honey We Shrunk Ourselves because mm-hmm. I was born in '93, so that one was like I was I was like more cognizant of the world ish for strong wording but like when it came out on like vhs i remember watching that movie and i remember like watching all of the there was like on the vhs i feel like there were a lot of ads for the movie when it was coming out but also like a feature i feel like there's like a featurette in my head that i remember about it and that was always stuck was. in my head yeah, yeah, there really was for the effects, I imagine. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, like, I always this movie has always like, no matter if it was like the third one or the first one, like the effects have always been kind of cemented in my head as something that like it looked like a playground, like it, it did look like something I wanted to yeah. play in. Like, mm-hmm. oh shit, like this is a really cool concept for a playground or a theme park. And I think I that the more I say it, the more I'm like, I think I did remember wanting to go to Disney to like play in that area. Yeah, it was at um, Epcot Center was where they had the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids space. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, we never actually went. But what's funny about it is it is a big, fun, fantastical playground for children where you might also die. (laughs) (laughs) It's always the best, right? That's always the best playground. And then there's um, the part where they – with some danger. Yeah. And where they almost drown. That was another scary part of this movie. Yeah. Watching that scene as an adult now, it, it reminded me of the poltergeist scene at the very end where she gets stuck in the in the pool with the the, the corpses and the coffins and stuff because it, it has that gross kind of dirty water look to it. That yeah, it just, the dirty it, that, water. Something about dirty water mm-hmm. that's just unsettling, I guess, because you don't mm-hmm. know what's in there, you know? <laughs> right. Okay. As So the there's some adult humor in this, too, that I – really appreciate and i i particular i'm bringing this up because um we had talked about the the bear scene in the shining and and asking the parents and they're uh, like yeah. yeah don't worry about it i remember asking my grandparents what is it about french class and, and cpr oh and my grandparents being like ask your parents and so i did ask my parents and they said we'll tell you when you're an adult <laughs> 
So that's it's eight a- years old, and there's the, the the French kissing joke, right? That's oh, a mild that- joke, too. I mean, yeah. I know it is, yeah. but that, that's my parents. But the, <laughs> the ending is he goes French class with his little bow tie I and his like it. his little nerdy mullet <laughs> and his role, and I was like, I love you so. Like, what a great character. You're so cute. But yeah, like, yeah. it was just a very cute little note to end on. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get it, Nick. I didn't get it. But yeah. <laughs> you might have, Nick. Well, like, again, there is a lot of, like, adult adjacent humor in this. On top well, and, of the and adult Diane themes. Saying, <laughs> right. And Diane saying Amy in the dark with little Russ Thompson. They better behave themselves. <laughs> I love that, like, we're tiny, so we're going to bone when we're tiny. Like, <laughs> I guess All bets are off, I guess. I guess Teenage boy, I guess people don't like as teenage people assume teenage the worst of teenage boys, which is probably which they probably, probably should, should though. <laughs> like let's be real. But but then also it, Russ trying to slide into Amy's DMs with like, do you think you will be warm enough? I'm like, boy, <laughs> nice try. So I, I you, you kind of mentioned Mary Beth a little bit that you when you saw this, but when how did you see this movie? I, I could not fucking tell you how I saw Can't this movie. I it, it's just it's again one of those movies that is just in my brain, and I knew mm-hmm. I watched it on VHS, and I loved it, and I watched it a lot, but like I could not tell you the exact experience of when I first saw it. Like I just know that it was a big part of my childhood. Both this and Honey, we blew we um we shrunk ourselves. Um, and I don't know why the, the second one just, like, didn't register in my brain whatsoever. Just one and three are the ones that I remember. But, yeah, they're just, like, a movie that I watched all the time. And I think I just, like, wore out the VHS mm-hmm. tape kind of situation. Like, yeah. I was, cause I was trying to think about it. I was like, I know I saw this movie a ton as a kid. But, like, I could not tell you the exact moment of which it happened. It was just, like, the, one of the movies we always like to watch as a family. Yeah. yeah, it was definitely, it was a big hit. It was around a lot in like the early 90s, you know, and mm-hmm. they did have that Epcot play space and they did make the sequels. I remember sitting in a movie theater and they played the trailer for the second one for Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. And I remember being so proud of myself that I wasn't scared. <laughs> <laughs> big things aren't scary, I guess. <laughs> Just little ones. Can't fall through the grate when you're a big thing. Nope. Nobody, nobody misses you when you're <laughs> 30 feet tall, I guess, you know. <laughs> no one can eat you well your parent can mm-hmm. accidentally eat you in yeah a bowl of cereal. your dad can't accidentally eat you there's something about that that is so dark it's so dark it's so, so dark. dark like and then like you think he, about like some of the weird shit on the internet for people like vor and then you think yes. about that because i'm i'm sorry i'm sorry i couldn't help it i thought about vor <laughs> No, I get it though, but it's like, it's a dad and a kid, so that's extra fucked up. It's fucking weird. And he's like, dad, and splashing around in the series. Yes, and he can't hear him. Just the power dynamic thing. Don't think about it too hard, but now I am, and I'm just like, oh, it's just like, it's gross. Like, it is, it is. It's weird. It's gross. It's dark. It's Stuart Gordon, Brian Houston, man, you know? But would he chew him, or would he just swallow him? And like, would he. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Probably just swallow him whole. Yeah, because he's I so think. tiny. And the, oh, yeah. Oh. But it's just so interesting to me how like it's presented in this really cartoony, upbeat. Not it's supposed to be a comedy. It's not supposed to be even a kids horror movie. It's supposed to be a comedy, and it's presented in this bright, cheerful, fun way. 
But yeah, when you think about it, the idea of screaming for your dad to help you and he doesn't hear you, but he eats you instead. Dude, that's like, that's like a Goya painting. That's like really, really (laughs) dark. (laughs) I mean, I I think that's the Yuzna and the, uh, you know, Stuart Gordon popping in like a little bit of their, their darkness, just interjecting that with a couple of the scenes. And that is definitely that moment that it's Mm -hmm. like, wow, I couldn't, I forgot about that scene until I was rewatching. It was like, oh yeah, this is. That's the other one that really fucked like stuck out in my head of like the kid getting eaten by his parent. Like that fucking freaked me out of just like the parent unknowingly and enacting harm upon you which it goes back to we're talking about like latchkey kids and like fading Mm -hmm. away and like not having any kind of importance and your parents just forgetting and neglecting you and like think you're so small and like you're so inconsequential that your parent just eats you and doesn't like think of anything about it doesn't even think about it yeah sorry i said that (laughs) (laughs) but again like it's so funny like you want to laugh like oh he's in a bowl of cheerios like everyone eats cheerios yeah exactly it's so funny and upbeat and like look at him in the in the giant cheerio bowl and then you're like a split like a split second of extra thought you're like oh wait (laughs) oh god yes i think that's probably the darkest moment in the movie like there are other parts that are scary their whole trip through the backyard is scary there's a lot of like monster movie kind of stuff going on there and them almost drowning was scary too but i think personally that the his dad almost eating him is the most fucked up part of the movie i don't know Mm -hmm. Would, would you guys agree Oh yeah, because I was I was trying to think of of the moments, and I I think thrilling wise, like the mower part, yeah, where it's like parked over the wormhole and they're they're getting like almost sucked up into it. I was like, that's thrilling, but that's not. I mean, it, it's kind of it goes along with the sort of monster movie aspect mm-hmm. of it. But then that moment at the very end, yes, I completely agree. That is like the tying into the thematic area. That is that is the 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 synthesis of this movie, where it's like the father is so ignorant and so oblivious about his kid that he might eat him mm-hmm. or throw him away brush him up and throw him out and take him out to the trash like these images it that is like the perfect encapsulation of the fears that that kid has and it's very fucking dark mm-hmm. yeah and like sure. we were saying before you know if you're a kid who feels small or or forgotten mm-hmm. for any number of reasons then that like really hits you it really hits you in a really direct way great job I mean, I know that like, and there was another writer, Ed Naha, who worked, who had worked with uh, Gordon and Yuzna before, um, who helped write the script. I think it was originally called The Teeny Weenies was the original title oh, of the script. Yeah. And then they changed it to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So he worked on the script also. And then obviously Joe Johnston ended up directing it. But I really do kind of think of this as a Stuart Gordon, right? Yuzna movie. Oh, same. I had no, absolutely same. I did not know that they actually were involved. That is so cool. Yeah, it made so much sense. Like as an adult looking it up and reading all the names, I was like, "Oh, I get uh, that. That's why it's it's horror guys that no. made it. Of course, it freaked me out so bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's so interesting that they changed it from the teeny weenies to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because it feels like such the the dad being like, "Honey, I fucked up," kind of thing. Like it's that really, <laughs> it's got that vibe of like the dad did something very wrong. And like I know Honey isn't necessarily gendered, but you kind of get the idea you, in the in your head. You're like, it's the dad saying, "Honey, I shrunk the kids," and it like has that more vibe of like, oh, the parent did something 
fucked up to the kid rather than the teeny weenies, yeah. which sounds kind of it's cute. It's like, oh, they're fun. They're like going on an adventure in the backyard. Yeah, rather than totally. Dad's, <laughs> Dad's fucking weird experiment in the attic. <laughs> like it's yeah. the kids the tiny. My dad being caught up in his work is going to kill me. <laughs> I'm literally going to die. <laughs> literally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but also, like, I just, just like, does every, like, just, is that normal for your parents to have these, like, crazy-ass projects in their house? Because my stepdad did a lot of construction <laughs> stuff. And, like, not uh, this level, but, like, he was always out in his shed. And, like, I learned he's out of such smoking weed, not just building things as I was older. Mm. Like, learned that, which is hysterical. But I was like, is my stepdad like that? Like, is he building a project in the in the shed? He's smoking weed. But that's okay. Like, that's totally fine. <laughs> but it just made me laugh. I was like, does everyone's parent have a fun project they work on in secret? You know, I was thinking about that rewatching this. I was like, the the, the house kind of reminded me a little bit of the, the gremlins, where the, the father in that is, you know, making all these bizarre inventions that, you know, end up exploding in his face or whatever. But I, it reminded me that as a kid, I was like, man, I really wanted to have that elaborate coffee maker that was in this place or like that notification system or yeah. the, the stuff in the gremlins. Like, I wanted to live in that kind of techie house and I, I didn't. And they added it back <laughs> to the future, too. Um yeah, they had those kind of Ru- uh, I think what are they called like a Rube Goldberg device where it's Rube, a yeah. really elaborate mm-hmm. device to do a simple thing to do simple thing. <laughs> those were kind of big in 80s movies that kind of like elaborate mm-hmm. device thing. Yeah, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure also has one of those in it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kids movies and those and those things. Definitely. It seemed like that was like a trope of the of the 80s for sure. Mm-hmm. I really wanted a dog that could get the newspaper. And I thought it was that easy. And guess what? It's fucking not. I love little Mary yeah. Beth. It's Ooh, so sweet. I had a lot of thoughts. I had a lot of dreams about, especially animals. I was like, I can teach our labs to fetch the newspaper. No, our labs were like lovable idiots. They were great. But I was like, oh, yeah, a dog could totally grab the newspaper. Like, we could get like Casey to go get to the newspaper. No, fucking, no fucking way is that ever going to happen. But like, in my head, I was like, this is the ideal neighborhood. And it kind of looks like it's got that like kind of like 50s era, like ish vibe to like mm-hmm. the this very like constructed set. But I was like, I want that, too. I want my dog to fetch the newspaper. Yeah. I've never, yeah. never once met a dog that actually fetches the newspaper. <laughs> I'm sure someone has. And if they haven't, they really should already. Oh, well, I was going to say, uh, if no one's yet. Here's a free idea for a thesis about the role of the suburbs in 80s horror comedies. Because <laughs> mm. that was like a big mm-hmm. theme in 80s horror comedies, too. And I think it might have something to do with the fact that a lot of these guys that we're talking about who were working on these films um, grew up in the 50s. And there was like that. Yeah. Uh, you had two yeah. things going on. You know, you had the rise of suburbia and you also had uh, monster movies, you know, like Roger Corman yeah. uh, kind of black and white drive in monster movies were big at the same time. And I think you definitely see those impulses come together here and also in the work of Joe Dante, speaking of gremlins. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Joe Dante's gremlins and poltergeist and all of those type of all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I also do want to give a shout out to James Horner, who created the soundtrack of my childhood. I'm like looking through cause he, he did the, the, he was the composer for this. And I was looking through the movies that he did like crawl and you know, the, the star Trek movies and cocoon and commando and aliens and all these movies that I grew up American tale, you know, batteries not included willow, like all these films. Wow. That's a range. That yeah. I grew up watching and I, 
I love his music. I've always loved his music. And it just reminded me of all of the times that I would like listen to movie soundtracks. And a lot of the ones that I would buy, particularly when I was a teenager, were James Horner. I mean, of course, Titanic. Mm. I had the sheet music to that, and I was playing Duh. that on the piano. I love Young Terry, um, too. <laughs> I was such a nerd. I have, like, so many piano books from when I was, like, a 17-year-old, 16-year-old. Did you playing, sing, like, though? Like, did you sing My Heart Will Go On? Did you play it on the piano and sing it? So I did when my parents weren't home. Hell yeah. I was so embarrassed about, like, my singing ability. So, like, I would – the moment – my house was the house was to myself. My parents were running an errand or whatever. I was bringing out the Phantom of the Opera. I was bringing out Titanic. I, I was bringing out all of this shit and just pounding the shit out of my dad's baby grand piano because he had a baby grand because he was in the band in the military and all this kind of stuff. So like, I was pounding the shit out of this piano and singing like nobody was watching. Oh, yes. Incredible! I love it. Oh, I love, I love it that. So much. I was into Phantom of the Opera when I was a kid, too. <laughs> yep, Phantom of the Opera, yeah. Jekyll and Hyde, like those kind of dark horror-ish like musicals. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge, huge fan of and could play all the music. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that brings my heart a lot of joy. To I know. Doing that. I want to be friends with little, with, uh, little Mary Beth and little Terry. <laughs> Call <laughs> M- M- Rick Moranis and be like, hey, bud, can you make us a time machine this time? We, <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were. Honey, I don't honey, know about you guys. Katie back was... in time to hang out with the podcast hosts when they were babies. Oh please! <laughs> I was kind of a lonely child. I would have been so happy to have friends like oh, you guys. I was too. <laughs> I was too. So I was pounding the shit out of a piano. Yeah. <laughs> I had a I had a worm farm where I named all the worms. <laughs> Did you really? Amazing. Incredible. I love it. I had like a bucket full of dirt and I had all the worms and I would name one of them the mom and one of them was dad and they all had names. And then my my stepdad dumped it out because he said it wasn't humane to have them in the bucket. (laughs) (laughs) I was so sad because of my worm farm. I was fucking weird, guys. It's fine. We were all weird as kids. It's It's okay. I also had a weird phase where I was really into the Salem Witch Trials I did, for when I was, like, a child. Hell I would yes. read every book I could find. Mm-hmm. I was, like, this little 10-year-old being, like, na- I could name all the, you know, people hung for witchcraft. <laughs> and I was like, actually, Giles Corey was crushed between two stones. He was not hung. And I was, like, 10 years old. <laughs> so and weird. Like, oh, I love this. We, we I was such weird. I know. <laughs> We've been such great friends. I know! We can sing Phantom and play with the worms. (laughs) (laughs) And talk about witch trials. Because I definitely read... I was not as obsessed. Like, I loved it. I read a lot about the witch trials and, like, convinced myself that I was a descendant of the Salem witch, of the Salem witches. Oh, who didn't? Yeah. Exactly. Who wasn't? Desperately (laughs) wanted to be related to a hung witch. Desperately. (laughs) So badly. All I wanted was to know that I was related to a, a woman who was hanged by an asshole man for being a witch. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, like, and I think that story kind weird. of, um, you know, like, being kind of a kid who wasn't very popular and was kind of weird. It was really fascinating, a story to me, too, that was basically about the mean girls of Salem had gotten all the cool chicks murdered <laughs> so, <laughs> by making up uh-huh. stories about them. <laughs> So uh-huh. that pro- that resonated when I was like a preteen. Yeah. <laughs> wow, you're right. I didn't ever think about that, but yeah, 
Because I was also a weird kid that everyone, like, not everyone, but a lot of people were like, you're fucking weird. I'm like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. It's, I get it's it. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We're fine now. We found, we found our, when they find their weirdos yes. and then they're, they thrive. Exactly. Exactly. If I ever interact with a weird kid now, I tell them, listen, you're going to be so much cooler than these ding dongs in your class. They're going to be done by 25. You will just be getting started at 25. That's what I'd say to my little self, I suppose. I love that, though. (laughs) Um, Do we want to wrap this up and give us our rating out of five? Do you want that sounds else? good. Cool. Okay, Terry. Um, how many? How many poor one out for aunties out of five? Mm. Do you give? Honey, I shrunk the kids. I feel like I have to give this four and a half. Um, it, a lot of it probably is nostalgia, and you know there probably are things that I could nitpick. But I just rewatching this movie just brought me so much joy, and also made me realize how intricate some of the themes actually were in this little movie that was made for kids. Um, and I, the humor still got me. Like I remember last night just cackling over, there's a moment where um, one of the Thompson's friends, Gloria comes over and she's like, Donald, that man is flying. <laughs> Cause she sees like Rick Moranis, like soaring over the yard. And there's this, it's, it's such a silly little aside, but it just made me start giggling with, with joy over like this idea of just seeing poor little Rick Moranis, like zooming over his yard and this woman just sort of seeing him out of the corner of her eye. And it just, yeah, I just, I, this movie's great. I, I think, I think it respects kids. I think that it does stuff that is both for kids and for adults, and it does so in such a fun, terrifying, and traumatic way. So I, I, I'm going to have to give this in terms of, of, of what we're talking about, four and a half. What about you, Mary Beth? I think I'm also going to have to go four and a half because when I when we came in, I was like, this is definitely a solid four. I love this movie, nostalgia, blah, blah, blah. But the more we talked about the themes of it, like I didn't catch catch on as much to some of the stuff that we talked about in terms of like feeling small, being a latchkey kid, because I didn't have that experience as much. Like I had a little bit of that, but I more was looking at like the divorce, divorce stuff. So mm-hmm. just talking about this movie has made me appreciate even more like how it wanted to take a movie for kids and make it still very have serious moments and also fun and cool to look at and like these beautiful sets and it's just the whole experience was amazing to go back and see and because i hadn't watched it in a long time and so it was just such a great experience to go back and watch it and then just talk about it with you guys in such an intelligent way has just made me really appreciate this movie for something more than just like a scary kids movie but as something that was really trying to get at like a deeper theme that i'm sorry the cat kneading you or your neck is so fucking cute i'm like getting distracted in a good way it's so fucking cute she's a good kitty Um, she's a good friend but yeah i think that this movie is a lot more than i ever gave it credit for and i think a lot of people don't give it the credit that i think it's due especially after talking about it. So yeah, four and a half mm-hmm. is my rating. Um, Katie, with the final word, how many pour one out for aunties? Okay. Aunties, I'm going to do four out of five because I okay. do feel that the original, I'd love to read the original version of the script. I bet it had mm-hmm. even more edge than what ended up on the screen. Um, I don't love the way the Disney uh, almost killed a director I like. So we're talking yeah, it an fair. aunt just for that. Um, but however, I yeah, what I really uh, appreciate, like, I think you're right. 
Terry, this movie understands kids and this movie like speaks to stuff that will resonate with kids, but not in an overly um, obvious way. Like it, it uh, mm-hmm. incorporates it in a fun story, but while speaking to things that are actually going to resonate kids and it, like I said, it understands kids and that's really cool. Um, yeah, I really like that about it. And I think it is a testament to the quality of the writing. And all three of mm-hmm. us were able to connect things that we had in our lives that made us feel like alienated. Uh, we're able to connect with the movie on all these different levels, you know, and, and none of that yeah. is it's all under the surface of the movie. It's all in the writing. So, uh, well, thank you so much, Katie, for joining us to talk about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up that you'd like to share? Well, Okay, I've got a big one I'd like to share. If you're in Chicago, please come out. We're doing 30 Nights of Terror at the drive-in. We've got some really exciting stuff. I, okay, so there's three nights I want to plug in particular. One, we're doing a J-Horror night with Ringu (gasps) and Dark Water, and I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, We're doing an Alien night with Fire in the Sky and the McPherson tape, which I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to show Fire in the Sky at the drive-in. Speaking of traumatizing movies, so many oh. people I've talked to say it's the scariest movie they've ever seen. Like We talked to Carla Rossi about um, Anthony Hudson about about that film, and that the alien abduction has no... It's fucking they're gross. No uh, So scary. And then also, I just want to plug, if you're in Chicago and you're looking for something to do on Halloween night, we will be showing Trick or Treat, the Michael Doherty one, so... It will be highly seasonal. Yeah, I saw. I saw. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> so, not a fan or anything. <laughs> so, um, if you go on my Twitter at Rife with Katie, my pinned tweet has all the info on that, and then also you can just go to musicboxtheater.com, and it's there in the top um, splash of the page. You can click on it and buy all the tickets there. So that would be great. And you can also find me on avclub.com. I publish stuff most days on there. So. Cool. And then everyone will have links in the description of the podcast so you can get all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, if you can, just throw out a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed. Please do. Please, please. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. 
If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.